We do need to remember that Advent is not just about Christmas. Advent is about preparation for Christ's second coming. And I felt really prompted to do that today, to, to just talk through some of the signs, the big signs that point to the return of Jesus. There was one headline that I kept seeing this week in the news. One headline that seemed to predominate every, everywhere I looked. Was it Boris's blunder claiming that there wasn't a party, but he's apologizing for a party that didn't happen and he's getting himself into more and more hot water? Was it the new variant, the Omicron or whatever? Uh, I've seen more, more pronunciations of that variant than uh, any other. Was it the tornado that hit Kentucky in the last day or so, or was it the rising tension between Ukraine and Russia? No, this was the headline. Camels enhanced with Botox, barred from Saudi beauty contest. I mean, look at, I mean, I just took a random selection of news headlines yesterday, okay? We've got everything from BBC to Al Jazeera to the Korean news. And this is the story. Did anybody else see this? Some of you, let me, okay, for the uninitiated, let me tell you what the story, this is, I've taken this from, I think, The Guardian. Saudi authorities have carried out their biggest crackdown on camel beauty contests. Some of you could enter those. (laughs) Disqualifying more than 40, and it says, enhanced camels from the annual pageant. The camels disqualified in the competition uh, were judged to have received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups. The popular festival which started this month invites the breeders of the most beautiful camels. (laughs) This is true. To compete for $66 million in prize money. Botox injections, facelifts and other cosmetic alterations to make the camels more attractive are strictly prohibited. Jurors decide the winner based on the shape of the animal's heads, necks, humps, dress and postures. Judges are escalating. This is in the paper. It's in the paper. It must be true. Judges are escalating. They're clamped down on artificially enhanced camels. The official news agency reported using specialised and enhanced Advanced technology to detect tampering. This year, the authorities discovered dozens of breeders who had stretched out the lips and noses of camels. This is true. Used hormones to boost their muscles, steroids or enroids. Injected heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger. Inflated body parts with rubber bands. I am not even going there. And used fillers to relax their faces. Folks... The world has officially gone mad. <laughs> craziness all around us. Absolute craziness. We have got to the point where we are using Botox on camels in a beauty contest. We have lost the plot. This is a strange world we are living in. It has always been strange, but it seems to be getting stranger. And many people who are looking at the world right now are fearful. Many people who are looking at current uh, circumstances and restrictions and all the stuff that's going on are rightly apprehensive. And there is this question being asked, and I have been asked it many times in the last two years nearly, are we in the end times? Are we near the return of Christ? Is this it? 
Many are asking, what's next? Are we in the tribulation? Uh, you know, we, we, we all thought this thing would be over by now, didn't we? We really genuinely didn't. Here we are entering 2022, and we seem to have no way out of it. And so today I want to simply, not simply, answer the question, are we living in the last days? Is Jesus coming back soon? And I want to avoid two pitfalls. I want to avoid sensationalism. And we've all met those people who see everything as a sign of the end times. Some people get way too into this. And every single thing they read in the newspaper, they point to the revelation or they point to the book of Da and they say, see, we're, we're there, we're right there, we're in the tribulation. So some people are, are, are sensationalist and go over the top about it. And then others just ignore it and kind of scoff at it and think that anybody who gets into this is kind of crazy. And what I want to do is take some middle road through that and simply try to express what the Bible teaches about the return of Jesus. Because the Bible talks a lot about it. There are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus' first coming, which we have seen fulfilled. But there are also hundreds of prophecies about his second coming that we have yet to see fulfilled. And so what I want to do is to look at Matthew 24, uh, where Jesus talks about the end times. Jesus is sitting on the hillside um, of, of the Mount of Olives, with his disciples. He's got a panoramic view over Jerusalem. It's Matthew 24. It's towards the very end of his ministry. And he begins this discussion because the disciples ask him, tell us about the end. And I'm going to fill that in. He kind of gives an outline there. I'm going to fill it in with a little bit of Daniel, which is the most prophetic book about the future in the Old Testament, and Revelation, which is obviously the most prophetic book in the New Testament. But look at verse 3 of Matthew 24 with me. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Even they were embarrassed about talking about this stuff. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? When and what will be the sign of your coming back at the end of the age? They say, tell us what to look out for. Give us the signs. See, if I'm driving to Belfast along the road, there's a sign that says 20 miles. Then there's a sign that says 10 miles. There might be other signs that say uh, ice on the road, giving you warnings. There might be other signs saying uh, road works. And signs are meant to be visible. You don't hide signs. If you hide a sign, it's not a sign. You want a sign to be visible and it's pointing to something beyond itself. It's giving you a warning. It's giving you inf- information or it's giving you an invitation. And Jesus says there are certain signs that will precede his coming. How close are we to the end? Well, there's certain signs. There's visible notifications that will tell us. And in Matthew 24 and 25, uh, he goes through some of those. And I don't have time to go into them all, but... uh, I will go into some of them. And I think this is important at this time, not only because it's Advent, but because of the state of the world we're in. Because every day there seems to be news that would cause us to fear. Or I'm actually just finding cause me to get frustrated, actually, more than fear at the minute. There's, every day there's things that just cause me to, to go up and down. One day I'm feeling good, next day I'm feeling bad. You know, I, I, I might talk a little bit about this later. Uh, I have started investing a little bit in cryptocurrency simply because we'd saved a deposit for our house and as it sits in the bank, it's actually losing money. So I, I've started in the cryptocurrency and it's, 
It's quite fun, okay? Like Bitcoin. Some of you will have heard of Bitcoin. Um, but it's highly volatile. Highly volatile. And for the first few weeks of doing it, it was an emotional roller coaster because literally one day your money could be here and the next day it could be here and then it goes back to here and it goes to here. And, and then I began to study some of the experts and the economists in this. And this is what the, the, there was a certain phrase that kept coming up again and again. And it was this When in doubt, zoom out. When in doubt, zoom out. In other words, don't get so focused on the last 15 minutes or the last day or the last hour because you'll be an emotional roller coaster. You'll be all over the place. Look at the broader timeline. Look at the trends. Look at the bigger pattern. Look at where it's come from. Look at where it's going. And that's what we also need to do in this volatile world that we're living in, where things are going like this every day. And within 15 minutes, the news can go like this. And you can be on an emotional roller coaster. When in doubt, zoom out. And look at the big picture of what the scripture teaches about God's timeline for human history. And I want to quickly look at six things. I had five, but I realized that one of them was two. So I've got six things, six signs that Jesus is returning. And I'm going to do them in 20 minutes. Number one is Israel. Number one is Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to a man called Abram. And look at what we read. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And that promise to Abraham got passed on to his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then Moses, and then Joshua. And 400 years after that promise was given, Joshua crossed over the over the river Jordan into the promised land, and the promise was fulfilled. Israel were called God's chosen people, not because they were better, not because they were more special, but simply because God and his grace and his mercy had chosen them. He has made a covenant with them. That is what God was doing there with with, with Abraham. He was making a covenant, an everlasting covenant. And even though they have broken that covenant and they have forsaken that covenant, our God never breaks a covenant. He is a covenant-keeping God. God has never revoked his covenant with Israel. Controversial. In the book of Zechariah, he even says, you are the apple of my eye and anyone who comes against you comes against me. And we have seen that throughout history. There has never been a more persecuted people than the Jews. There's never been a small group of people that have been tried to be destroyed so many times. And everyone who comes against them always comes to nothing. God's hand is on his people, Israel. As Christians, we are living under a new covenant. We are living under a better covenant. Not based on keeping the law, but on Christ through faith alone. But Jesus was a Jew. He came through the line of David. And Paul, in the book of Romans 9 to 11, makes it very clear that God hasn't finished with Israel yet. That we have been engrafted into Abraham's blessings. 
We have not superseded them. We have been engrafted into them. We are partakers of them. But one day God will finish what he started with the nation of Israel. God is not done with Israel yet. Israel might be essentially a secular nation right now. They might not be following God, but he loves them. He has plans for them and he has promises to protect his people. Very quiet in here. Okay, I I wholeheartedly believe that. And I believe that while Israel is a secular nation right now, the scripture teaches that one day they will also become a spiritual nation again. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new spirit and write my law in your hearts. That's what he says to them. Not only will I, okay, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Israel entered the promised land. They occupied under Joshua, okay? Then 586 BC, the Babylonians come and carry them off into captivity by the rivers of Babylon. Remember that? Okay, so they're carried off as exiles into captivity. They're scattered. And for the next 2,500 years, Israel do not own their own land. They're exiles. They're scattered. At times they may occupy the land, but they don't own it. There's a difference between occupying somewhere and owning somewhere. We occupy a house provided by the church. We do not own the house that we occupy. There's a difference. And Israel at times have occupied. So when you read the scriptures, when you read the New Testament, the time of Jesus, Israel occupied the promised land, but they didn't own it. The Romans owned it. They were under Roman rule. And for 2,500 years, God's people were scattered throughout the earth. They were wanderers. They were exiles without a home to call their own. However, God's prophets declared that a day would come when he would bring his people back, when he would give them a nation again, when he would bring his people home and that they would establish boundaries and become a country again. And that would be the sign In fact, some call it the super sign of the beginning of the program of God in the end times. Isaiah 11 puts it like this. He will raise a signal or a sign. This is 700 BC. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. We've been looking a bit at Ezekiel 37, you know, the dry bones. That's a picture of Israel scattered and dead. But God breathed. He brings them together. And then what does he do? He breathes life. They've been brought together right now. And one day he's going to breathe spiritual life back into them. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says this to his disciples. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. Right at the door. See, Jesus said in a few verses after this, you don't know the day or hour when, and people who have tried to guess when Jesus is returning. You know, there was, one, uh, in 1987, a book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Returning in 88. And when that didn't happen, then he brought a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Is Returning in 89. And, and uh, eventually he, he gave up on that. But people have always tried to guess. Jesus said himself, I don't even know, only the Father knows. But he says this, there's signs. There's signs. Like when you start hearing Christmas music, which happens about late October, when you start seeing trees and lights go up, is it Christmas? No. But there's signs that Christmas is near. In the Old Testament, Israel were often described as a fig tree. 
And Jesus says, look at the fig tree. When you see it blossom, when you see it start to flourish once again, that's a sign. That's a sign that you need to pay attention to, that the end is near. And when you read the scriptures, and especially the book of Revelation, Israel is at the very eye of the storm. Israel is at the center of all that happens. And so Israel had to become a nation again before we could honestly say that God was fulfilling his end time program. So we've said that for 2,500 years, Israel was scattered. They were exiled, but God had promised he would bring them home. When did this happen? Well, after 2,500 years, on May the 14th, 1948, the modern nation of Israel was birthed. Isaiah's prophecy written 740 years before the birth of Jesus said this. Who has ever heard such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day? And the answer was yes. A country was born on May the 14th, 1948. The restoration of the Jewish people to their own land was a prophetic sign. Christ is coming soon. And this tiny nation of Israel is at the center of geopolitical events. I mean, it's tiny. It's about 8 million people. But do you know the size of it? It's about a third the size of Ireland. Do you realize that? It's about the height of Ireland, and then you slice it about a third. And that is the size of Israel. It's a long, narrow country. And yet it's at the center of of scripture and it's at the center of end times of time events and it's at the center of most of geopolitical news that we read right now. So number one sign is Israel. The super sign. Without it, none of the other signs really mean that much. The second sign is the church. What about the church? What does Jesus say is going to happen in the church and to the church before he returns? Look at Matthew 24. Jesus answered, watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Let's break this down just a little bit. He says there's a number of things that are going to happen to the church. He says there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be false teachers, there's going to be heresy. There's going to be people who come in and teach things that are not scriptural. There's going to be people who are going to say things about Jesus that are not right. There's going to be deviations from biblical Christianity. And that's increasingly what we've seen. I mean, there's always been that throughout history. There's always been the odd heretic here and there. But today, heresy is becoming the norm in much of the church. We are seeing whole denominations turning away from biblical truth. We are seeing splits in the the states. The Methodist church has just split. The Presbyterian church split a while ago. And the Anglican church has split. And we're going to see a massive split in the Anglican church, I think, worldwide in the days to come. Why? Because they've turned away from the gospel. They've turned away from the truth of the word. There's ministers, there's bishops, and there's archbishops who believe in same-sex marriage, who believe that all religions go to heaven, but they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ or the virgin birth. And Jesus says, beware. 
When you start seeing people coming, preaching things that are heresy, it is a sign that the end is coming. It is a sign that the end is near. The church at the minute is not in a great place worldwide. The church is in decline in most countries in the world, and COVID certainly hasn't helped. I think you're going to see many older denominations simply close in the next five years. They're just not going to survive. What we see here is not the norm, and I, I please, I say that with no hint of pride or arrogance. But one, on a Sunday, one-third of the people here are under 18, between Hope Crash kids and youth. That is not the norm. By God's grace, may it continue as we preach his word faithfully. Because God promises to bless his word. And should we ever, ever deviate from his truth, his hand of blessing will lift off us. But most of the church around the world is in a mess right now. They're watering down the gospel to appease the culture. They're throwing away the historic truths of the Christian faith to try to win people and all it's doing is making them look stupid and they're denying their Lord. So there's heresy and false belief within the church but there's also persecution from outside the church. The only thing that people won't tolerate today is Christian belief. People will let you believe absolutely anything at all. I mean, they will... They'll have beauty contests for camels. You can do anything except believe the word of God. You do that, you're intolerant. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're narrow. Hate speech. That is the world we are living in, and it is increasingly the world we are living in. And Jesus says that persecution will increase. Jesus says in the last days, I mean, we follow a saviour who was hung on a cross. There has always been persecution. But when you own a bakery and can't choose what to write on a cake, there's something very fundamentally wrong with that. And that's going to intensify in the days to come. I can absolutely promise. I don't mean that to scare you, but if you haven't realized that already, you're probably living in a bubble somewhere anyway. But there's one more thing it says about the church, 2414. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations and then the end will come. It will be the best of times and the worst of times because as persecution intensifies and as false teaching intensifies, you know what will intensify? The spirit of God being poured out on the earth. There will be miracles. There will be signs and wonders. There will be modern day prophets and apostles raised up to lead the people of God. And God will pour out his spirit. And while many will turn and their hearts will grow cold, there will be many who will turn to him and their hearts will be revived and their hearts will be turned to him. There will be a great last day revival as the gospel is preached throughout the earth. Number three. So we've had Israel, the church, third one, global upheaval. There's so much here. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew 24. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, there have always been wars and rumors of wars. There have always been famines. There have always been earthquakes. So how can we 
Look at the news and every time we see if a famine or an earthquake or a war, go, well, Jesus must be coming back. It's that little phrase that he says, all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. That is the key phrase here. I remember when Becky was in the last stage of carrying Elijah and she went into labor and the birth pains and the contractions started. But Elijah didn't appear immediately. There were two days of birth pains and contractions and I felt every one of them, I can tell you. I felt every one of them. And no, I watched the X Factor while she was screaming. It was... Well, young. Um, no, uh, Garth Gates always... You know, just bring it all back to me now. No. Um, but how did we know that the birth was getting closer? The contractions increased in frequency and intensity. That's what this is talking about. Yes, there's always been earthquakes. Yes, there's always been wars. Yes, all of that stuff has always happened. But when you start seeing it increase in frequency and intensity, when you start to see three or four major earthquakes in a year, when you start to see major famine in two or three countries around the world, when you start to be able to not to keep up with the wars going on, that's when you know the end is near. Do you know more people died in the 20th century in war than in, any other, than in all the other centuries combined since Jesus? I studied history at school. I studied A-level history. I don't remember much, but here's what I remember. Most of studying history is studying wars. You just study wars and, and the little bits around wars. Even right now, we're living in a time where we're just waiting on Russia invading Ukraine going to happen in the next month or so. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but the signs are there. China are circling Taiwan. What will happen there? Iran have said they want to see Israel wiped off the map. There's going to be an escalation in the last days of wars and rumors of wars. Number four. So we've got Israel, the church, global upheaval. Unifications of of nations, or globalism, as we would call it. The Bible teaches in the last days, a a large group of nations will come under one sort of system. Maybe not necessarily one government, but one system of government. One coalition of, of nations will group together. We see this in the Old Testament in Daniel, and we also see it in the book of Revelation. In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Some of you will remember this from reading Daniel. And then he doesn't know how to understand the dream, remember, and he says he's going to kill all his astrologers and all if they don't tell him what the dream was. And Daniel steps up. Daniel says, I'll do it. He goes and prays and he comes and and this was a dream. That Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue, a huge statue, and the head was made of gold and the chest was made of silver And the stomach and the thighs were made of bronze and the legs were made of iron and the feet were made of clay and iron. And he says, this is the interpretation. You are the head. The Babylonian empire is the head. Good. That was a good interpretation for Daniel in that day. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the gold one. You're the one at the top. After you will come another empire that will be silver. After you will come another empire that will be bronze. Then there will be one of iron and then there will be clay and iron. 
And we saw that we've seen this throughout history. We have seen other empires. We had the Babylonian, we had the Persian, we had the Greek, and then we had the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the Iron Empire. They crushed everything under them. And then he says in the dream, I saw a rock that wasn't formed by men and it came down and it smashed the whole thing. And that rock is obviously Christ. And it says it became a mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay? Bear with me here. The only part of the statue that we haven't seen is the feet of iron and clay. That's the only part. Look at what it says in verse 43. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In other words, what will happen in this last day coalition, this last day unification, is that a number of nations who are different will be mixed together, and it will be very hard to keep them together. And the the fact that there's iron there, iron was the Roman Empire, would indicate that many of these are going to come from the Roman Empire. But clay would indicate weakness. So you're going to have strong nations, the iron, and you're going to have weak nations, the clay. And it's simply going to, they're going to keep trying to hold it together. Now many people think this represents, what would you say? EU. It, it might. I want, you to look at, I want you to look at a picture of the Roman Empire and its heyday. What does that look pretty much like to you? Europe, a little bit of North Egypt, Libya, and... Well, Israel was under the Roman Empire. So it's not necessary. So some people will say we're talking about a rebirth of the Roman Empire. I don't think it's the whole thing. But what the Bible says, you can take that down now. It says there's 10 nations that are going to come together under one government. 10 nations are going to form an alliance. And it's going to be a common bond for what they consider to be peace and prosperity and the well-being of all. A sort of United Nations, a confederation. Some will be stronger than others. They will give up their distinctiveness. Why will they come together? Most likely because of some crisis. Maybe a war, maybe a China, maybe a pandemic, another pandemic, maybe a huge economic crisis, maybe climate change. We don't know. But they will be united to become one. And Daniel and Revelation indicates that there will be 10 main countries, but one ruler will soon emerge. One charismatic and dominating leader will overshadow all the others. And that takes us to number five of six. We're not doing bad. The Antichrist. Dum, 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 dum. Remember, I don't know why. Who let me watch this as a kid with a movie? Was it The Omen with Damien? And 666? Somebody let me watch that. Bad it wasn't my parents. It was somebody else. Um, my parents should have been more responsible. But, and it scared the life out of me. And this is the bit that most people get caught up on and trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And throughout history, people have thought different people. Stalin, Hitler. People thought Mikhail Gorbachev, because remember he had a birthmark on his head and that was the mark of the beast. People think all sorts of people, but the reality is that the Bible says that there are Antichrists will come, but in the final days there will be a final Antichrist. There will be people who, like Hitler, will be against God's people but there will be a final one who is worse than all of the others. It seems to indicate that this leader 
will, will emerge at the start of what we call the tribulation, the seven-year period described in Revelation. don't have time to go into it. I have written a book on Revelation. I don't have it with me today. Okay, it's called When the Lamb Roars, and it goes 50 days through Revelation. Just telling you, it's there. I go through it, okay? Make a great Christmas present. Um, Amazon.co.uk But this leader will emerge from relative obscurity. He will be kind of unknown. But people will start to pay attention because he will be incredibly eloquent in his speech. He will be articulate, but even more than that, he will seem to have a solution for the world's problems. He will seem to have answers in a time of crisis that nobody else has. And so people will be drawn to him incredibly intellectual. He will know all subjects. He will know all languages. And people will be drawn to this humble, charismatic figure who seems to provide hope in the midst of crisis and chaos. Just as in the 1930s people were drawn to Hitler. I mean, you wonder how that happened. Because of the Weimar deflation, the economy in Germany was a mess. And somebody came to the fore and said, we are going to restore the glory of this nation. That's something that you're going to see in the last days. You're going to have this later emerge. And what he's going to do at the start of the tribulation, and this will be a sign that we're entering into what the Bible calls a tribulation. He will... Bring a peace treaty in the Middle East. Something that governments and particularly the states have tried to do for decades. He will bring a peace treaty between Israel and the Arab nations. And everyone will celebrate him. And then after a number of years there will be an assassination attempt. It appears from what I read in Revelation there will be an attempt to assassinate him. People will think he's dead but he will come back to life in some way as a parody of Christ's resurrection. And people then will really begin to buy into him. People will really begin to worship him. People will really begin to follow him. And actually at that stage, he turns not, uh, he turns against Israel. He breaks the treaty. And he begins to defile Israel. He begins to blaspheme Israel. He begins to speak against them and he begins to persecute God's people. And he demands absolute loyalty. He demands absolute worship. He says there is no other God, Lord, or ruler except for him. How do you prove your loyalty to this ruler, this leader, the Antichrist? It tells us in Revelation 13. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who is inside calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, 666. I remember in the 80s watching videos of a guy, I think he was in Portadown Island, Barry Smith, I don't remember. New Zealander or Australian, was he? Yeah? And uh, he was convinced that barcodes were the number of the beast, the mark of the beast. Because every barcode had three Double long lines. And double long line in barcode language was six. So every barcode, so every time you bought your Heinz beans, you were taking the mark of the beast, essentially. And, uh, and I'm sure he was a lovely man, but, but as time has gone on, we've seen that many of the things that he thought were the mark of the beast are not. And the reality is we don't know. We don't know what it is, okay? But we, if we believe that the beast mentioned in Revelation 13 is still to come at a certain, certain date, then we have to accept, except that there will be some form of identification. 
There will be some mark, and I can feel the tension rising in the room right now. Stick with me, please, stick with me here. I'm nearly done. The word mark is the Greek word kerygma, kerygma even. And it's like a mark or a seal that you'd put on a stamp, or a, a notary would use it, that sort of seal, stamp. It is legitimate, it's approved, it identifies it as, as this belongs to somebody. And Revelation del- directly links this mark as representing some form of acquiescence or submission to the Antichrist. Look at what it says in verse 17. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark. There will be immense pressure to submit to the rule of the Antichrist. And the sign of loyalty and adherence will be the reception of a mark. And it may not be visible on the skin, but it will be detectable. And there will be a very clear separation between those who have received the mark and those who haven't. Because verse 17 tells us they could not buy or sell unless they had received the mark. In other words, this is some sort of economic passport. This is a way of identifying have you worshipped, have you succumbed, have you submitted to the beast, or haven't you? And if you haven't, you will not be able to buy or sell. You will not be able to run a business. You will not be able to shop. You will not be able to shop online or in person. Just two years ago, this would have been absolutely impossible to conceive. But let's be honest, the last few years has changed all of that. I mean, for one, and just a couple of things that have happened. I've never carried cash so little in my life. I mean, we were moving towards a cashless society already. We were using our plastic cards. Now, what do we use? Hold our phone up. Who would have thought so quickly we would get from handing 20 pounds over? If you hand cash over in some shops, they look at you like you're, a, you're just handing them a big bag of COVID. Don't they like, you know, just... And they're spraying it and, you know. The next stage of that is digital currency, which I talked about earlier. That is where we're moving towards. This Bitcoin, this cryptocurrency, some of you have never heard of it. But like in the late 80s or early 90s, you'd never heard of the internet. But but you know what I discovered as I researched this? The adoption of Bitcoin is twice as fast as the adoption of the internet. What does that mean? It means in 10 years, all of you who are still around will have a cryptocurrency wallet. You will have digital currency. You will no longer have the currencies that we have. It'll be all digital currencies. That's just where we're heading. So let me say something else here really briefly, okay? And this is the bit that you're all intense about. I'm going to leave the last point. Or I'm just going to finish up after I say this in a minute or two. Let me say something. Somebody said to me recently from this church that their husband had got the vaccine and people had accused them of getting the mark of the beast and of having not a lot of faith. Can I say that is absolute rubbish? I want to make that very clear. And I want to say to the people who say things like that, shut up. <laughs> as bluntly as I can, okay? Because the Bible makes it very clear from what I read here. When you get the mark of the beast, you know exactly what you're getting. You know exactly what you're getting. 
You may not even want it, but you know what you are getting. Can I also say something else on the flip side of that? I've had many other people say that they've been accused of being unloving and unchristian because they haven't got the vaccine. Can I say to the people who are saying that to them, shut up. You have no idea, you have no idea why some people will or will not get the vaccine. And it is not for you to decide and it is not for you to judge. And the enemy is having a field day in many churches with this and he will not have a field day in this church. If you get the vaccine, if you're vaccinated, I love you and you're welcome here. If you're unvaccinated and choose not to get the vaccine, I love you and you're welcome here. And we will never discriminate in this church between those who are vaccinated or unvaccinated. Let me make that. Let's just say I will never discriminate in this church between those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. Because where discrimination comes, it is anti-gospel and it is anti-Christ. And let me make that really clear. That is not going to happen. And I do, have, I do think some of the things that are happening right now are troublesome. I believe we need to be very careful. Whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, pray and get the wisdom of Christ about the situation. And be very careful not to discriminate against somebody because they're vaccinated or because they're unvaccinated. Because the Bible makes it very clear. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, vaccinated nor unvaccinated. For our unity is in Christ and in Christ alone. And my last point, Armageddon. The Antichrist gathers nations together. They come against Israel in the valley of Megiddo. They're determined, like Iran are at the minute, to wipe Israel off the map. But just as they're about to attack, There's a trumpet sound. There's a white horse. And there's a king with a sword coming out of his mouth, followed by Christians dressed in white. Look at Revelation 19. I'm just going to read this as I finish. Revelation 19, 11 to 21. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, And their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse. Because when Jesus returns, they turn from Israel and they start to make war against Jesus. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out from the mouth of the rider and the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Enjoy your lunch. 
There's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. And our world is full of darkness. And our world is full of evil. But you know what? I have read this book. And I know where it's going. And maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're apprehensive right now. But all of this is in here. It's all there. And the story ends in glory. The story ends with our Savior ruling and reigning. And it says that in Revelation that the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's where this is going. Where's it all going, we say? Where's this all going? I want to tell you where it's all going. All of history and humanity is moving irreversibly towards the feet of Jesus. That's where it is going. And I've told you the story before about a friend of mine who travels a lot with ministry. He speaks all over the place and he loves football, so he always records the football when he's away. But before he watches it, he checks the score. And he only watches it if his team wins. And I said to him, why would you do that? Why would, does it not spoil it? He said this, no, it makes it better. Because I know how, not no matter how badly the game is going, no matter how far behind we are, no matter how many men we're down, no matter how many knocks we take, no matter how much it looks like we might be defeated, I know that in the end we're going to win. I'm back in the winning side, he says. And then he said this, When you know the end result, that profoundly affects how you perceive and deal with the setbacks during the game. Child of God, you're on the winning side. No matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's coming against you, no matter how terrible things might look, no matter how many knocks you've had and how defeated and discouraged and depressed and despairing you feel, I want to tell you that today you can have peace through Christ. You can have supernatural peace. And you follow a God who knows the end from the beginning. And all of history and humanity is moving in one direction. To the feet of Jesus. And that is our confidence. And that is our hope. And that is our peace. And that is what sustains us in a world of fear and anxiety. We know where it's going.